You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon members. Thank you so much. You're the reason this podcast is still going. If everyone who listened to this podcast gave just $1 a month, we could both turn this podcast into a full-time job and be certain that we could keep it going throughout the pandemic and keep bringing you more episodes. It would be a win for everyone. If you're not a member and you're able to donate, go to patreon.com slash ancienthistoryfangirl. Members get ad-free episodes, extra episodes about fascinating topics, hilarious mostly drunken conversations we've had with other podcasters and guests go to patreon.com slash ancient history fangirl and sign up today to join the fun podcasting my my talent is podcasting I'm Jenny Williamson. And I'm Jen McMenemy. And this is Ancient History Fangirl. It is, but it's not just Ancient History Fangirl. It's a special bonus episode. We are coming at you on the off week. Surprise! We are thrilled to welcome our dear friend, Liv Albert, best-selling debut author and host of Let's Talk About Myths Baby, back to the podcast. Woohoo! We just had Liv on. If we drop it when I think we're going to drop it, we just had the pleasure of having Liv on to talk about Hadrian. And you get the very special privilege of having Liv on on the off week because we just had to do this little bonus episode given current events. And this is when we're dropping it. Given current events, which is our dear friend wrote a book. And as you know, from listening to both of our shows, we are really good friends and we couldn't miss a chance to talk about Liv's brand new debut book and, you know, delve into the wildness of Greek and Roman mythology. So Liv, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me on our friendiversary. Oh my gosh, and it is. It's our one year friendiversary. It is our friendiversary. It feels like I've known you literally forever and not just a year, but that is how time goes in quarantine. Is it ever? Oh my God. Yeah, I think it was basically 10 years and in, packed into one year in 2020. I think everyone can relate. Yeah. This is a great segue because your debut book was just released by Simon & Schuster. If you're in the UK, I think when this drops, it'll be out in the next week or so, which is great because I can't wait to get my hands on it. I already have it. 
Yeah, I know. God, you Americans. I always have to show off. And yes, I know I'm American. I've been in this country for 14 years. What's the book called, Jen? It's Greek Gods and Goddesses. The... Oh my God, Greek... Oh my God, I'm not even drunk yet, guys. (laughs) It's great... Or uh, Oh my God, I can't even say it. No, it's Greek (laughs) Mythology, The Gods, Goddesses, and Heroes Handbook. I knew it was something like that. You're so good at talking. (laughs) Why don't you have a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing? Anyway, I had structured these questions in such a way because Liv had a very interesting process writing her first book. I kind of wanted her to tell us a little bit about it because she's got a great origin story for how the book came about and what it was like to write this book during lockdown. Well, you guys were here for all of it. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, it was a funny process because basically they came to me, um, Adams Media, this imprint of Simon & Schuster, wanted a book of Greek mythology, and obviously they found me uh, via the internet uh, and asked that I write a proposal to write it, and so I did. And then basically from there, though, it moved very quickly. (laughs) I had one month to write this book and originally uh we were in lockdown and so I was home all the time and I was like this will be fine it'll be no problem and then as soon as I signed the contract my job at the time reopened which meant I was managing a clothing store and trying to like rehire all my old staff and also just generally manage a clothing store in a pandemic whilst trying to write a book so I took a few three-day weekends and banged out a book in a month and it was uh, it was an interesting process. Obviously, I'm very excited with the end result. It's gorgeous, but it was a stressful month, I have to say. How did that differ from your process of writing podcast episodes? And what was the process like telling these stories for a very different medium? I would say the process was very similar as I also scramble to write my podcast every week because that's just how my brain works. Pretty sure I have undiagnosed ADHD. ADHD. <laughs> because some of us live that way. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. No, Jenny does not get that. (laughs) I mean, the reality is there are some people like Liv and I who just work better when it's a little bit closer to the deadline. And some people like Jenny who can't live that way. And shockingly, there is room in this world for both ways of being. There is. Anyway, we were talking about how it was different, the process of writing this book compared to writing your normal episodes. And what it was like telling these stories in a different medium. Yeah, so it was, I mean, definitely the scrambling felt familiar, but otherwise the really interesting part um, was that I was working in really strict structure for this book. They had an, uh, an image in mind for what they wanted it to be like, and so I kind of had to work towards that image. So essentially it was like all of the main character entries had to be, you know, between six and 700 words long. And that was really interesting because normally I work on a much, much larger scale or simultaneously a much smaller scale because there are certain gods, goddesses, whatever, that are super important but also have really minimal information or stories attached. And so there were a couple of cases where I had to really shorten or had to go sort of under the number of words, but also I got into more detail in those limited words, whereas there's other instances like, say, Odysseus, where I went over in my word count and was already like, you know, telling the Odyssey in like six sentences, which was really interesting. And same with like Heracles, like basically his story is 
some basics about him, but otherwise it's just like a list of all of the the 12 labors because that took up, you know, 700 words. It was really interesting. So some of them are really detailed because I, I got to kind of go all out and then others are really brief. So it was, yeah, it was a very interesting process. They also, um, they were also uh, wanting it to address pop culture and representation in pop culture and kind of, you know, oh, here's this character, where might you have seen them before? And so I was also trying to address those those certain things in each of the entries. So yeah, it was all around really interesting. It was quite different. Like it, it had my voice, but it also doesn't have my voice in the same way that the podcast does. So it was, it was quite a, an experience. Your voice is a little bit um, blunter in the podcast, I would say. Yeah, definitely more like conversational as well. Much more curse words. What is your writing routine like? How did it differ for this book versus for the podcast? Like I know my writing routine is pretty much like I sit down and I have definitely missed my deadline at least twice before I seriously realize if I don't write this episode, we won't have a podcast anymore. (laughs) And then I just stay up for three days and write an episode like a crazy person. And if you could see Jenny's face right now, you would think it's absolutely true and absolutely horrifying. Why are you torturing me? <laughs> I'm trying to talk about Liv's process. <laughs> I wanted to give her both sides of the coin, which is like highly ruthlessly organized, keeps everything together, and then whatever I am. <laughs> I've said this before, but I need a Jenny for my podcast. I really do. <laughs> you would hate me. <laughs> you say that, Liv. <laughs> you'd kill me in my sleep (laughs) (laughs) well it was it was quite interesting I mean basically I phrased it this way at my book launch and I think I I figured it out exactly in that moment that my process in this case was basically like are you awake you should be writing because I was really like on such a time crunch because of work and I did have to keep my podcast going I didn't record or I didn't research new episodes I I had been doing the Iliad readings at the time, and so I just recorded extra of those and released those, and then I think I re-released a couple of old episodes, because as fellow podcasters will know, you have to keep to your schedule, even if you have shit going on, which is why I'll, every once in a while, re-air an old episode or, or something like that, and so I basically just did that to get it out of the way and then spent that month writing, but, you know, I also had my job, and I mean, when I got home from work after... <laughs> like, you know, nine hours at a store in the very freshest parts of being reopened during a pandemic and managing a bunch of early 20 year olds. I was not writing when I got home, you know, like that was not happening. So it was basically like, from the moment I woke up on my days off until the moment my brain stopped being able to form complete sentences, like I was writing this book. I remember I finished a main part where I knew that I could relax. And I it was like 5pm. And our patios had reopened, thank God. And I like finished it all up and then met a friend from work on a patio and was like half falling asleep, half so relieved, half just like, what's happening right now? Okay, let's just drink some beer. (laughs) So yeah, it was it was exhausting. Um, But you know, it's all worth it. I mean, I have to say that your podcast has definitely been, and your book, uh, the bits of it that I have already read, because yes, I've already read some of it, and I've already seen some of the artwork, have been an amazing escape during lockdown and our third lockdown over here and everything else. So thank you for that, because we definitely needed it this year. Thank you. (laughs) That's very nice. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. So, while you were working on your book, you retell some stories we've already heard on the podcast, but you tell them in, in different ways because of the things we've talked about, the, the constraints and stuff. Were there any tales that you'd already covered or that you've been meaning to cover that surprised you when you were writing them? Yeah. So actually, it's funny because I read I read this before we started talking and I was like, well, I don't think so. And then now it's just come to me that there absolutely was one. And I was working on the entry on Hermes. I had not fully read or understood the full Homeric hymn to Hermes, which since having written, I just remember writing this episode and being like, or writing this the section of the book and being like, holy shit, oh my God. And then I basically, as soon as the book was done, I covered that on the podcast because I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world because the Homeric hymn to Hermes, which I just recently actually re-aired on the podcast on Friday, whenever we're recording this, because um, because I was so exhausted from the book launch that I was like, no, I'm taking a day off. But it's just the funniest thing in the whole world. Like it's a ancient poem slash would have been sung, like written down somewhere in the realm of like 700 BC. And it's the story of Hermes being born. And within the first like two to three days that he's alive, he like toddles out of his crib, finds a turtle, laughs at the turtle, kills the turtle, invents the lyre, and then decides like that's not enough. And he goes on an adventure and steals Apollo's cattle and like, tries to hide the cattle and then tries to hide from Apollo and all of this is when he's like a day old and it's so funny like it's real comedy like rivals the stuff we have today by far and it's you know like going on 3,000 years old and I just it blew my mind yeah it was the best and so that was definitely one where I I researched it for the book and then was like fuck how have I not covered this yet and then immediately did. Homeric hymns are so funny I was just reading the Homeric hymn about Aphrodite and Anchises today, and it is also hilarious. Well, and then there's the one that we've told in a drunk myth for Patreon, the Homeric hymn to Aphrodite that's about Hephaestus, like, trapping her and Ares in a net. Right. <laughs> yeah, they're so, they're they're not all funny, because there's also the famous one would be, like, the one to Demeter, all about the abduction of Persephone, which is, like, tragic and beautiful. But then some of them are so funny. Other ones are just so beautiful. Yeah, there's something else. These are so old. That's what I love about it. Yeah, they're like, I mean, they're called Homeric for a reason. Are they Homeric because they were written by Homer? Why are they called Homeric? Uh, just because of the time frame. We don't know the author. I think it's unlikely that it's Homer, um, but I haven't done my research on that. But my understanding is yeah, that it's unlikely it was Homer, but it's more that they're from the similar time frame. You were asked this in your book, Launch Live, but I'm going to ask you again because maybe your answer is different this time. Um, and also people might not have seen her book launch. We are a different medium. Um, 
So what is one story or god or goddess that you weren't able to cover that you really wished you could have? So I think I will give the same answer um, because I can't think of another one offhand. And that would be Bellerophon because I actually really felt bad about him. Like I feel like I waited in the moment and then I'm honestly I just like had to work so quickly on this that it just kind of had to come out in the moment of just like, well, this is what's happening. Yeah, so Bellerophon, I already think that he's like undercovered and like my episode on him is just called like the underserved hero because he's so forgotten and he was one of the less problematic heroes, you know, he like he's not perfect, nobody is, but definitely one of the less problematic. He is also the only hero that rode fucking Pegasus. It was never Heracles. It was never Perseus. It was only Bellerophon. And he rode Pegasus to kill the Chimera, which is super cool and this whole thing. And so he's definitely been one of my favorites because of the Chimera, mostly, but and also because of Pegasus and everything. And so he does get an honorable mention in the book on, <laughs> under Pegasus, where I'm just like, no one rode Pegasus except for Bellerophon. So he's definitely mentioned like he's not forgotten entirely, but I do wish that he'd had a section. But it, they also, I, I was limited in how many characters I could cover. I honestly think I probably could have dipped a different one out in order to cover Bellerophon, but I didn't think about it until it was too late. And so poor Bellerophon isn't included. That's what happens when you have a month. (laughs) That's the thing. Yeah. So your book is absolutely stunningly beautifully illustrated by Sarah Richards. And what was the process like working with an illustrator? And what's your favorite illustration, if you have one? So I... I didn't work with her at all. Um, They did all of that. Basically, I didn't know anything about the illustrations uh, until my editor started sending me little started with I think I got like a couple that were in sort of their almost final form and then a couple that were little thumbnails. She was showing me and sort of making sure that they fit with the story. And I was just kind of blown away by them. Like they're just so, so stunning. They're so weird and alternative, for lack of a better word. Like, they're really, like, kind of eerie and cool. They're just gorgeous. I absolutely love them. And so, I, yeah, I was more just, like, in awe of, of them. I'm pretty sure I sent you guys one, like, immediately. It's like, holy shit, this is what the illustrations are. What the fuck? And my first question was, where can I buy this? I want to put it on my wall. Yeah. Oh, my God. So many people want to buy them. I don't know if that's ever going to be a thing, but definitely a lot of people want it. But uh, yeah, so it's been quite a process. In terms of favorites, I think if I really, really had to drill it down, oh, I don't, I think I would go with Medea. You know, I was going to say Cersei because Cersei is so sassy and cool and I love her purple. And Cersei's illustration is incredible among many, many others, all of them really. But I think if I had to pick one, I would go Medea. She's driving her dragon chariot and she's just, she's turned her head around in a way that's just like a fuck you i just it's it's so deeply medea it's gorgeous it's so visceral and cool and yeah medea i like that ariadne and theseus and the minotaur all worked in together although there is at a certain point where i just (laughs) want the minotaur to kill theseus and that's it it's fine I love that one. I love that illustration. It is so awesome. You know, I think I really love the Persephone and Hades one because it's really just romantic and sweeping. It is. The Apollo and Daphne is very gorgeous. I absolutely love that one. Honestly, I have a bunch of them up around my apartment because I have prints. Yeah, the Medusa is gorgeous. 
I just wonder how that brief went when they were working with her and how they briefed her. It's just fascinating. They had her stick with like four colors. Like, so each one has like different shades of the same basic colors throughout. So she had to like pick a kind of color series and work within that. Wow. That's really strict. Yeah. I mean, I think they really had quite a vision with this and it definitely turned out. Absolutely. You recorded the audiobook during COVID. And what was that like? How did it differ from putting together your weekly podcast? I think ultimately because of the type of the book, which is not like super big budget, and also because of where I live, which is like small city in Canada, I think that it would have been the same regardless of COVID, especially because I'm a podcaster, that they they would have just had me do it at home regardless. Um, But basically, yeah, I mean, it was definitely more strict in terms of the actual acoustics. So I like made myself like a little bit of a blanket fort and things like that. I did, I was planning on investing in a new microphone anyway. So I just did it in time to do that recording and things like that. But ultimately, I mean, honestly, it was so quick. My producer was amazing. She was so nice and just, we got along really well. So we got really comfortable and we had to do it in the evening because we had construction going on outside of my old apartment. I remember that. It was crazy. So we like started at 6 p.m. She was in central time. So it was like 8 p.m. for her and we would just go. And um, we did it over three nights, which they were planning on four. And yeah, we definitely did it like way quicker than they expected because I think I'm just so used to not necessarily the podcast because it's a little bit different in terms of my tone and stuff. But I think honestly, the fact that I've been throughout most of 2020, I was reading Homer aloud on the podcast, like reading the Odyssey and the Iliad. And I think that that fully prepared me for it because I'd spent hours and hours and hours reading from a screen aloud and just recording my voice doing it. And so I was just like, I'm good at that. (laughs) And the podcast, it's like much more like conversational. And so it's a script, but I'm also like kind of playing on it. I'm, you know, kind of doing my own thing. But when I'm just reading Homer, it was, I was just straight reading it. And so it was, yeah, it was perfect preparation for that and made it go very smoothly. I'm also so used to catching my own mistakes. So I think she had to point out like two that I didn't notice. Um, And then the rest of them, I caught myself. So I mean, I honestly, she did not have much work other than just like being cool and like us kind of hanging out while we did it. Yeah, it was, it was really great. So yeah, it was nice. It was nice to have somebody else in the line, but also we like, we didn't have our cameras on. So it was a little bit nicer because you're not like worried about what other person's like, I can't read aloud onto a microphone in front of people. You guys have watched me try when we've recorded those kinds of episodes. I have hit the pandemic point where in when I don't feel like putting on makeup and I don't feel like being presentable, I just don't turn my microphone on my camera on. I'm like, look, we've been doing this so long. You don't need to see this face. Uh, what are you working on next, Liv? Are you working on novels, a nonfiction project? What is next? Um, so lots of things, honestly. So I've talked about this before, but I do want to write a book of mythology that's more in the voice of the podcast. That's just like fully the podcast's book. So like, you know, more sarcastic, um, maybe some curse words. Why not? I do love the word fuck. Yeah, who doesn't? Well, exactly. And like much more extensive. An episode of my podcast is about 4,000 words. And Theseus, for instance, is such a shitbag that I have four episodes on him and I'm not done. Whereas, you know, the book was 700 words on Theseus. And so yeah, like definitely want to like have a really extensive versions of these myths that are very much in the voice of the podcast. I really love Liv that I feel like you have made it a thing that everyone you talk to talks about how shitty Theseus is. I feel like you've just made that like a viral 
Theseus is the worst. I mean, I agree. He is just the fucking worst. But everyone I hear you talk to, feel like everyone on Twitter, it is now known that Theseus is the worst. Yeah, I've sort of made like, I don't know if that constitutes a meme. I feel very old asking that. Um, But I've definitely made it like a thing. (laughs) Might be. You definitely made it more of a thing. Or maybe I'm just old and didn't notice it before. Yeah, no, no. It's I've definitely made it a thing that we're just going to shit all over Theseus all the time because he's such a dirtbag. But I, I have to say it has come up like I would say completely naturally, like about 50% of the time in my conversations with other people. I, I think like Natalie Haynes just brought it up on her own. Hers is one of my more memorable ones. And I feel like I didn't do it. I don't know. But definitely like almost everyone I've talked to, I actually put out a call for like anyone who might be re-listening to those conversation episodes if they'll send me timestamps of when we do it because I want to make a whole compilation of just like all the different really smart people that I have talked to about how shitty Theseus is. Yeah, Theseus is a serial killer. He's awful. He's a serial killer. He's a serial rapist. He's the fucking worst. Yeah. He's a serial rapist. He's a philanderer. He abandons women on islands. Oh, he's just such a dirtbag. I can't. Anyway, let's get back to what you're working on next. Your nonfiction and maybe fiction? Yes, um, that's the goal. Lord knows when it'll ever actually come into being. But it's, it's definitely a goal to eventually sometime, maybe hopefully soon also release a book of fiction based on Greek mythology. Uh, Goals, man. Where's the time? So we're going to keep Liv here for just a little bit longer and we're going to do something special. I'm so excited. (laughs) Like I'm always outsized excited when we do these and we've done like what 10 of them now and it just it always feels like the first one. So many now. So our Patreon and Liv's Patreon followers will know that every once in a while we get together and we watch Spartacus because, oh my goodness, if you haven't seen the Star of Spartacus, do yourself a treat. But we also realized that Jenny doesn't know as much Greek mythology as one would think Jenny should know. (laughs) (laughs) So Liv and I frequently, after several cups of wine or goblets or drinking bowls or whatever you want to call them. Cauldrons. (laughs) Cauldrons of rebirth of wine. Like to educate Jenny in drunken Greek mythology. And it is my favorite thing. We'd all decided in lockdown that we were going to record episodes with each other that we were going to put on our mutual Patreons. And one of them, we were talking about a movie or something, and you guys just broke into the most hilarious explanation of some random corner of Greek mythology. Because nerds and wine margaritas because <laughs> you guys are nerds and, wine. and it just killed me and i was listening to it later and i was like this is the funniest thing and it's also all i want to do ever now and now it is all we do ever and i love it so consider this a small advert for both of our patreons and also a chance if you're able to pop open your beverage of choice and maybe drunkenly shout along with us i'm gonna go get my prosecco that i need to pop open in celebration. Jen is going to break the break in case of emergency glass and bring out her magnum. Is she really going to drink a magnum now? She's gone into the night in search of Prosecco. I respect this. I wish I had Prosecco. going to see if I can get you a nice pop sound. Right. I have my librations, Liv. Shall we? We shall. What shall I hear today? Today, we're going to tell you the story of arachne i'm so excited okay let's go (laughs) well the most beautiful version of this story comes from my best friend and devoted source ovid 
And if you only know Ovid for his metamorphosis, please go on and read the Heronies. Yeah, the Heronies are letters from women to men who fucked them over. It's just as a taste of why you should love the Heronies, yeah. And if you've read the Heronies, then go read Nikita Gill's Great Goddesses. Absolutely. So yeah, the, the most beautiful source, much like the most beautiful source for Medusa, uh, also comes from Ovid's Metamorphoses because there is a pretty epic metamorphosis in this story um so you know once upon a time as they like to say uh there was this woman who you know frankly i really respect she had a lot of confidence in her skills it was not unwarranted confidence she just knew what she was good at she was good at one particular thing she had cornered the market in it she was a motherfucking artist at what she was good at which was Weaving tapestries. Absolutely. Everyone's got to have a thing. We've all got to have a talent. What's your talent, you guys? Uh, I opened that Prosecco pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> Making Prosecco pop noises. <laughs> um, that's just a recording of the sound of, of ice jingling around in a margarita. Liv, what's your talent? <laughs> Podcasting. My... My talent is podcasting. <laughs> You're not allowed to ask serious questions while we're telling you drunken myths. Oh, I didn't expect serious answers, you guys. <laughs> Mine is uh, nailing it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we've all got our talents. <laughs> Everyone's got something. <laughs> However humble they may be. <laughs> and Arachne's was spinning wool. Not just spinning wool. Like, a tapestry isn't just spinning wool. And spinning wool is also a talent, but it is part of the process. Like, a tapestry is a gorgeous, like, epic work of art that tells a story, usually, or is an, a beautiful pattern that captures you and takes you away somewhere. Spinning wool is definitely a talent, and it's a skill. But what we're talking about, what Arachne was doing, was she was more like, I see it as, like, painting pictures in a tapestry. Like, epic embroidery, but, like, way harder, you know? But, like, embroidery is the thing you should picture, but, like, enormous and huge and detailed and not as easy as embroidery because you're, like, using this loom and a, what is the word, a shuttle? I think it's a shuttle or shuttlecock or something like that. That's in badminton. No, shuttlecock is for badminton. Oh, sorry. I got it wrong. <laughs> guys, guys, this is, this is drunk mythology. <laughs> We know nothing about weaving things. Uh, <laughs> distaff. A distaff is part of it. Yeah, you know, there's lots of stuff. Clearly, we are, have moved beyond uh, weaving. But I think the important thing, too, is so back then, like at least in city life, that is like the main thing women did is they wove. And so, you know, like that's what Penelope did while Odysseus was away, like famously. But generally, it was like the thing that women did. It was like how they passed the time slash how they were productive. Well, it was the thing that certain women were able to do because to weave required having a loom and that took up a lot of space. So you had to have a certain amount of space, which implies that you had a certain amount of money or privilege. Bringing it full circle, the kind of spinning or weaving, weaving and spinning, not the same thing, right? Not the same thing. Sorry, spinning wool is like the thing you do before you weave a tapestry. She was using like already made thread to make tapestries. Yes, she was not making her own thread. 
Yeah. So she was incredibly good at weaving. So good that she kind of voiced how good she was. Um, She even said that, you know, she was better than a certain goddess who was also known for her weaving. And who was that goddess, Jen? It was Athena. Because Athena was the goddess of wisdom and strategy and war and weirdly crafts. (laughs) It sort of fit in with like just general crafts, like creation of things. She was sort of the counterpart to Hephaestus was the creation of things in a more like fiery forge kind of way. And Athena was kind of that crafts like way of, but I mean, basically too, like weaving was such a woman's job that it was sort of the thing that Athena was a part of in terms of women. Like Athena was off, she was a goddess of mostly other masculine things, but weaving and that kind of that woman's work was very much part of, of Athena's like role in the pantheon. And also, you know, generally, Athena is a messy bitch. And so, you know, you can't exactly go and compare yourself to her, uh, let alone on something that she is particularly proud of, like her weaving. Yeah, it's like if you go down to Georgia and you want to take the devil on a fiddle competition, like, it is going to get messy. It's going to get real messy. Don't do it. There's a little bit of insecurity in the Athena department, I'm sensing. Well, the other way around. Athena was kind of like, wait, you're saying that you are a better weaver than me? Like, I invented weaving. It definitely was like her big her big thing in terms of like feminine work. Maybe it's because that's like the one thing that is coded feminine that Athena does. So she doesn't feel like that confident in it. It's also easier to be crazy about the mythology when we're talking about a guy who's an asshole. Like Hephaestus or Theseus. Like, it's a little bit more difficult to be an asshole about Athena. Because it's like, yeah, she was not great to women. But also, she's one of the main female goddesses. But anyway, can we get back to our girl Arachne, who is like, I am better than the goddess Athena at the thing the goddess Athena invented. Arachne was like literally getting all getting her hubris on. And she was saying, I am better at weaving than Athena, who invented weaving. And Athena was like, oh, is that so? Right. It, it, it's like, oh, I didn't even know you were into weaving, Athena. And now all of a sudden, I can't talk about how good at weaving I am. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't know that was your number one thing that you cared about. I thought it was just a secondary hobby, but no. Because look, we see this also one day, we will tell the story of Cupid and Psyche. But we see this with Psyche and Aphrodite when people are like, Psyche is as beautiful as Aphrodite. And Aphrodite is like, oh, hell no. <laughs> I get that a little bit more because that's like a direct comparison of like Aphrodite is literally the goddess of beauty. Like it just feels like a bit more of a thing. Like Athena, I just feel like Athena is a bit more unrealistic here. I mean, let's be honest. Who are the people telling us this story? Women, don't be too proud of how good you are at something that only you are supposed to be doing because if you're too proud, you will have the same hubris as Oedipus who fucked his mom. You're going to wind up fucking your mom. Oh, wait. Wrong story. (laughs) Wrong story. Sorry. Sorry. Anyway. Don't. Yeah. Don't. Don't fuck your mom. Everyone's walking around in ancient Greece terrified that they're going to wake up fucking their mom. And it's going to be a whole thing. (laughs) Well, it's this really interesting thing like hubris that you have in ancient Greece. You know, it's this idea that you later see in like Christian mythology of this idea of pride goeth before the fall. Like if you are too proud of what you are and your abilities and your talents, you will always be smacked down. And it kind of originates here. Today we just call that having self-esteem. I don't know. I don't have that. But anyway, can we please get back to Athena? 
who decided she needed to descend into the mortal realm to take on this young girl who was like, I am the baddest ass uh, at whatever I do. Weaving. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Why have I been talking so long? Jen's, Jen's struggling just a tad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gonna take this right over. Gonna give Jen a break. She seems to be having a little bit of a time. <laughs> Just pass the baton. <laughs> so yeah, basically, like, this was not a good idea. And so Athena disguises herself as this old woman. And she goes down and she's like, Arachne, we're gonna have a weaving competition. Because if you think you're better than Athena, like, I'm here to beat you. And so she doesn't reveal that she's Athena because that's just what they do. But she still challenges Africa or child. But she still challenges <laughs> But she still challenges. <laughs> but she still challenges Aphrodite as if she's a master. Is Aphrodite in this story? See, you said Aphrodite too. That's what I keep saying. No, that's what you just fucked it up the same way oh, I kept God, doing. Athena. What are we doing, you guys? So, but she still challenges Arachne because she's basically like wanting to get her point across, even though she's not even showing off that she's Athena. So basically, they're like, okay, let's have this weaving competition. And I think. Arachne knows, you know, like she gets it. She knows what's at stake. I think she does. She realize does does Athena disguise herself? I feel like she does, but I also feel like Arachne knows full well that she is dueling Athena. So maybe she doesn't even disguise herself. I feel like it's one of those disguises that's like a very bad disguise. It's like when Julius Caesar put on his famous like mustache, and you were just like, "You're still Julius Caesar. You're still wearing a laurel crown." It's like that time that Mark Antony grew a goatee and then thought nobody recognized him. <laughs> Anyway, so these two are going to have a battle royale of weaving. Exactly. And so I always forget, I think it must be the whole real point and what makes this story so incredible to me is that what Arachne weaves is essentially like... Do you want me to tell you what Athena weaves first? Yeah. So Athena weaves first. And she weaves this epic tapestry of like beautiful vistas where the sea and the sky and everything looks like it's moving and you could walk into it. And it's just incredible. And everyone's like, you cannot beat this. It is just the best. And then Arachne steps up and Arachne's like, I can beat this. And Arachne weaves what is essentially a retelling of every fucked up thing the gods have done to humans in all time. So she weaves Zeus kidnapping Europa as a bull. She weaves Io being transformed into a cow by Hera. I don't know the details of which ones she tells and which ones not. I know she does include Europa, but basically, you know, I think she might weave Medusa like she weaves every fucked up thing any of Athena's brothers like her father did everything the gods did horribly to humans she weaves into this tapestry like she calls them out so hard it's an act of resistance she is calling them out and like she must not give even a tiny fuck she's like I fucking hate all of you and I'm putting it in my tapestry good for her good for you Arachne I recently had somebody, uh, I posted the first images of my book, including the page with Zeus where I call him a serial predator because I'm apparently starting shit. And somebody who has this like weird like role playing Instagram account where they just like pretend to be Apollo and they basically threatened me like Arachne. Like they were like, you saw what Arachne did when she accused the gods of misdeeds. That's what you're doing here. Whoa. Whoa. The internet's cool. I don't know if you guys know, but the internet's like a pretty fun place. 
It's a dark, dark place. Have you been on Twitter? You just never know what you're getting when you put something out into the world. You don't know what's going to come back. It's like staring into the void, but there's people in it, frightening people. So Arachne put this out into the void. She put it out into the void, this epic collage of the misdeeds of the Olympians, of all their awful things. What happened, Liv? Well, so Athena, I think, basically couldn't bring herself to recognize that Arachne had made a really fucking good point. She was fully in the right. Her tapestry was so much better. It was so clear. And I'm pretty sure, like, everyone kind of tried to make it seem like they wouldn't pick Arachne. Because also there was, like, an audience for all of this. Like, people were watching. They wanted to pick the goddess because they knew what would happen. But also they were like, nah. Like, Arachne's is clearly better. She has really made some good points here. And, you know, I think this is a valid argument. And Athena was like, no. So she transformed Arachne into a spider. And this is why we respect spiders to this day. And this is why everyone respects spiders. It's such a punishment because Arachne gets to weave and weave and weave her webs. And she's forced to live in the darkness, out of the sun, away from the prying eyes of those upper world bound Olympians telling her tales in her webs. Mm, That's a real dark ending, Jen. Jen's here to make the end just like real poetic. This is what happens when Jen opens the Prosecco, guys. Some people get joyful, other people go dark. (laughs) That was amazing, ladies, and very uplifting. (laughs) My mood is better now. I have to say, too, like, the other ones tend to be a little bit uh, crazier, potentially more drunken. I think we're all a little bit um, stayed right now. It is difficult for me to be as down on Athena as I want to be because I really like her as a goddess in most ways. But she does some awful things to women. The thing is, Athena is a product of the patriarchy in a way that I would say no other goddess is. She is the man's goddess. She is a friend to heroes. And, you know, this is not to say that, like, the overall ideal of Athena was this back then. But the extant sources that we have are men and they were the patriarchy and so they loved athena because she helped men because she helped heroes because she punished women and and so that's just basically what we have of her so it's hard because she punished women who stepped outside of their lanes that's why the men enjoyed her and also like remember that that is the lens we're seeing her through that's exactly what i mean yeah it's not necessarily the actual truth of athena it's simply the athena that we have based on the sources which were all written by men Exactly. So I would say most of our myths are a lot lighter. I particularly like our myth of Aphrodite and Ares and Hephaestus, which is a ridiculous time. That is a great one. I do want to say (laughs) we recently covered both Medea and Oedipus, though neither of them have come out yet. They will come out soon. Those are both madness, crazy, hilarious, but also dark as all hell. So we've got everything. It's basically, you know, runs the gamut of moods, I would say. And I will say that neither Liv nor I do any research before we decide what myth you want to tell and just go with it. (laughs) No, no, this is all from memory to the point where it's like, Jen, what happened again? Can you remind me? What? 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 The one time I did one that I was explaining to Liv, I had to have a giant outline. Yeah, Jenny tried to do a spur of the moment and she had like notes and pages and pages on Kukulin. Yeah, whereas I'm like, just tell me when to channel Kukulin. (laughs) Meanwhile, Jen and I texted like five minutes before our call being like, what myth are we doing? (laughs) Jenny reminded me. She's like, oh, did you pick a myth? I was like, fuck, live. (laughs) I forgot we were recording anything today. (laughs) 
I was like, we're just watching Spartacus. If you want to visit any of our Patreons, because you can get our crazy stories on both, we kind of all release these at different times. So something might be up at one of ours that isn't up on one of our other ones. At some point, you don't know what you're going to get, basically. But you can get our um, crazy myths with Liv at the $10 level on our Patreon, which is at um, patreon.com slash ancienthistoryfangirl. Um, you can also get them on my Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com slash mythsbaby. And I uh, try to be active and, you know, I do what I can. Thank you so much, Liz. For Liz. Thank you so much, Liz. Liz. <laughs> I'm fucking drunk. <laughs> what is wrong with me? And on this, our one year friend anniversary, Jen forgot my name. Sorry, Liv. Next week. Thank you so much, Liv. <laughs> what the fuck, Jen? Thank you so much, Liv, for ah. coming back and talking about your book and for joining us here for A Drunk Myth. We hope you all have enjoyed this bonus episode and we will see you in two weeks. I like listening to Jen try to say normal person <laughs> phrases and conversations whilst drinking Prosecco. You can tell she's trying to sound very professional, but she's also very drunk. Enjoy! <laughs> It's very amusing. Wait, 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 wait. Ready? Foxes. <laughs> Foxes? Little dog. Toilet roll? <laughs> toilet. <laughs> Loo roll. Loo roll. God, I call it toilet roll. Loo roll. Little dog. Kitchen roll. <laughs> Little dog. <laughs> all right. We will see you all whenever we see you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.